the revelation of Jesus Christ, chapter 22, the very last book, the very last chapter of the very last book of the Bible. Revelation chapter 22. Verse 1 says, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it and on either side of the river was there the tree of life which bare twelve manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations and there shall be no more curse but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it and his servants shall serve him and they shall see his face his name shall be in their foreheads and there shall be no night there and they need no candle neither light of the sun for the Lord God giveth them light and they shall reign forever and ever. Let's pray again. Father, we ask you in the worthy name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you would settle us in our seats, settle our hearts, settle us in your presence. Father, will you speak to us this morning? Encourage your people. Charge us, Lord, with your calling. We pray, Father, that there would not be one of us we leave here this morning without receiving from the Lord, whatever that measure may be, whatever that word may say. We ask it, Father, that you would now hide this man and let only Christ alone be glorified and seen. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. The name changer is the game changer. In other words, he who has the highest name has the right to change every name. He who has the highest name is the one who is in supreme, total, and sovereign authority. And God changed names throughout time, throughout Scripture. We'll look at it. We might need to do a third morning on this next week, the Lord willing. But he who is head over all, king of kings, he who is the great creator God, he who is the Lord God omnipotent, almighty, and powerful, he alone is the one who has the right to change lives, who has the power to change lives, and he has the authority to do whatever he wants to. He can do whatever he wishes, whatever he wills, I should say, and whatever he wants, the Lord has the right to do so. In Revelation 22, in verse 5, John's showing a picture, as it were, of the glory of God, the kingdom in its fullness, when Christ returns again. It says in verse, five, in verse 4, And they shall see his face, that is, the believers, the overcoming saints of God, they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. As I said, I want to take my time in this, because this is, it's mighty, it's powerful, it's beautiful, but it's also very, very important. In Church today, i.e. universally, many churches, whether it's charismatic churches, you see in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, it just becomes another thing to say. There's nothing with it. In more 
um, established, if you want, orthodoxy churches. We hear in the name of the Father and the name of the Son and the name of the, Lord, uh, and the, name of the Holy Spirit. And it's more of a ritual things are said in. That's all it is. It's a ritual. Or we hear the name Jesus Christ mentioned, and it's a ritual. It's a, a ceremonial name. We need to rescue the personality of who Christ is out of that. Because when we realize what it means to say his name, things will change. Lives will change. Prayer will change. Circumstances will change. Homes will change. Our nation will change. You see, some people say, and you may not have heard it, but if you're in certain areas of study, some people say the name of Jesus should not be mentioned because it means it is the name of Zeus, the Greek god, Now, that's nonsense, brothers and sisters. Don't you let anyone pull that on you if you're ever studying that. That is not true at all. In fact, the two names in the Greek are spelt completely different. And some say it also means the pig. Don't let them pull that on you as well. The name of Jesus is the name which is above every other name. It is the anglicized name of Yahuwah from the Old Testament, Yahweh. It is the anglicized name of Jehoshua, it is the anglicized name of the Greek of Aesos. So it's all Jesus. We're not speaking about just a name and it's any name. We go to Spanish-speaking countries in particular, maybe in Spain or even Mexico, somewhere like that. And some of the people are called, you hear them called Jesus. That's Spanish for Jesus, Jesus. Should they be called that name? Well, that's up to them if they want to call them that name. But it's not the name, it's the person you're referring to. It's the character you're referring to. It's the one who owns the name who you're calling on. That's the difference. You can call someone William, Billy or Fred, and it could be any Willie, Billy or Fred, you know, and it could be any one of them. It's the one you're speaking of and their character. You, you can't say because of this name that it's no power in it. It's what we believe about the name, who owns the name, who that name represents, that's the difference. That's the difference. And they shall see his face. Who are they speaking of? They're speaking of the face of Almighty God. Who is that? It's the Lamb upon the throne. The man Christ Jesus. God is the Spirit. He is invisible. His light is unapproachable. And there's a man in the glory of that light who has risen, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is God with a face. And on that day, we shall see his face. It doesn't matter how many angels I see. It doesn't matter how many seraphims I see or cherubims I see. It doesn't matter how many elders are around the throne. It doesn't matter about the company of the saints that I see. It doesn't matter about the pure river of crystal that I see. That'll all be lovely. That will be great. That will be tremendous. It doesn't matter about the glorious beasts even that I will see. I will see the mighty thing that I've been waiting for all this time. I'll see the face of Jesus. It's the face of Jesus as our Savior, the face of Jesus as our Lord, that mighty one who is the Lord Jesus Christ. We will see his face. You'll see his face. The face that they have beaten. The face that was battered. The face that was bruised. The face that was spat upon and spat at. The face that ran down with blood. The face where they nailed that crown of thorns upon the brow of it. 
the face that they turned away from and the face that they jeered at. That wonderful, that beautiful, and that lovely face, the face of the Son of God, they shall see his face. You'll see his face, and I will see his face. Now, notice, when we see his face, we will see him in all his wonderful glory. We will see him with the wounds that he has borne at Calvary's cross, but they're no longer bleeding. The blood has been shed once and for all, but the wounds in his hands and his feet, we will see the wounds on his side and upon his brow. He carries the marks of love that he had for you and the marks of love that he had for me. And that face that we'll see, we'll see him in love because in this life, we have made him our own personal Lord and Savior. But there's a time when those in the book of Revelation, also in chapter 20, will see his face. Revelation chapter 20 says in verse 11, this is this, the, the second resurrection is known, and it's the second resurrection unto the second death. Those who do not know Christ, those who have not made him their personal Lord and Savior, those who are not trusting in him, Revelation 20 and verse 11 tells us they'll see his face. But notice, and I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. So the unbeliever will see his face, but they will see the face whom they rejected. They will see the face whom they slapped. They will see the face who they beat with rods. They will see his face like this. But those of us who are trusting in Christ will see his face with a smile of love. And we'll serve him forever and forever. Now notice this. His name shall be in their foreheads. His name shall be in their foreheads. Briefly and quickly, his name in their foreheads, it does not mean Jesus is tattooed or imprinted or branded into our foreheads. It does not mean that. In fact, when it says they shall, uh, his name shall be in their foreheads, we looked at it last week. The word name is the word onoma. And I must tell you what it means again to get the thrust of our message here. It's the Greek word onoma, and it means the name is used of everything which the name covers. Everything, the thought and the feelings which is aroused in the mind by mentioning the said name. So everything that a person is, when you mention their name, that's who you're thinking of. You know their characteristics. You know what they are, what they'll do, what they're like, what they'll be like. And so when we're mentioning the name of Jesus, we must remember who he is. We must get to know who he is. If you don't know him, you can come with your formulas. You can come and you do anything in the name of Jesus and it means nothing, not a row of beans, as it were. When we're praying, we're praying in Jesus' name. When we get to know who he is, then we know that we have the personality of Christ and we know the answer that will come for the prayer. In the name of Jesus. Baptizing is the same. Or if we're preaching in Jesus' name, Whatever it may be, when we do it, we do it all to the name of the Lord. We do it in the name of Jesus. Because his name is the name which is above every other name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Why? Because of who he is. Because of his character. Because of his personality. Because of 
his, his, his own person, who he is to us, for us, and with us. We must know him personally. And the only way to get to know him personally is to spend time with him. Read his word and spend time in his presence. And you'll get to know the one who owns that name. Acts 4 and 12, Peter says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So it's the almighty name. It's the saving name. And he's also the name of God. What do you mean? God gave his name to his son. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, which means Jehovah Savior or Yahweh the Savior. Or if you want to put it in another term, I'm just mentioning these terms people call uh, God by. And another term is Yahuwah. And that is a, a, a Hebrew uh, translation too. So if you, if you want to know who he is, read his word. It's the name of God. It's the highest rev- he is the highest revelation of, of, of the Father. He is the highest revelation of Almighty God. He is God with a face. He's God in flesh. He's God clothed in humanity. He is God, very God of very God. And he's very man from very man. So I notice this. When we look at Christ, the name which it covers, it speaks also of rank, speaks of authority. If you go to a captain in the army or the navy or the RAF or whatever, it's, you know, captain so-and-so, you're paying respects to him because of the rank and the authority. The name captain means he's over you. When we understand who Jesus is and we understand his character and we understand his authority, then we understand he's over us. He's the head of the church. We understand that he is our king. So then we are submitting, we're yielding, we're kneeling, we're bowing, we're prostrating before him because he is over all. Now we looked last week at uh, uh, Exodus 3 where Moses is at the backside of the desert in a burning bush and he turns aside and he asks, when you send me to Egypt or to Pharaoh in Egypt, uh, the Israelites will even say, who sent you and what is his name? What will I tell them? And the Lord says, I am that I am. Sort of a name is that. And the idea is he's giving Moses revelation a bit at a time. Don't expect God to give you the full bill of hey brother. Don't expect him to give you the full bill of hey sister because you and I just cannot cope with it. Step at a time, day at a time. Moment by moment. In fact, it's precept upon precept. It's line upon line, precept upon precept. And it's a little bit by little bit. Don't try and run in front of God. Don't try and jump too far. But let God guide you every little bit. Let him reveal himself in your circumstance every little bit, every little time. When Israel were going into the to Canaan land across Jordan, he says he would push out the Hittites and the Perizzites and all those other sites. And he says that he would push them out little by little, time by time. You know why? They couldn't. They would spread themselves too wide and wouldn't be able to cope with the capacity of the land. So he says, if you trust in me, it's day by day. If you trust in me for today, I'll be with you. And when tomorrow comes, brother, when tomorrow comes, sister, he'll be with you. And when the next day comes, he'll be with you. But Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, Therefore, I say unto thee, take no thought for tomorrow. What you shall eat and what you shall wear. And he tells us to take no thought 
because tomorrow will take thought for the things of itself. You're living today. You're breathing today. You're, your heart's beating today. You're here today. You're under his word today. Listen today and live today for him. Tomorrow will be a new day. I can't cope with this until tomorrow. Tomorrow, you don't need to worry about tomorrow because boast not thyself of tomorrow for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. None of us are... Uh, None of us know will we be still here tomorrow. Will our hearts be beating tomorrow? None of us know will we be here. Uh, We must make plans for family and so on and work and all, all those things. But none of us know what the next moment brings. So walk with God and let him reveal himself to you as you read his word day by day. Don't try and go too fast because once you go too fast, that whole bill of hay will just choke you to death. You become too stressed with it. Uh, this is too much for me. You become too wearied with it. Day at a time in the strength of the Lord. Now I notice this. He says, what is your name? Now we looked at the name. And the word name that is. The word name in the Hebrew is the word Shem. S-H-E-M. It's actually Hashem. But we'll just call it Shem because that's, that's fine enough. In fact, when you look at the devil or Satan, uh, 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 his name is actually Hosatan. So you see, this is a, a, pre, a precursor word for it, but it, it emphasizes who it is. But let me go on from there. So Shem means reputation. Shem means fame. Shem means glory. Shem means memorial. <clears throat> Excuse me. Memorial. So when Moses goes to the backside of the desert and he says, If they ask me your name, what will I tell them your name is? I am that I am. In other words, I will be what I am, always and forever. When you need it, where you need it, how you need it, I will be it. Now that's a promise from God, and he says, this is my name forever. Yet he's starting to progressively show his name to Moses and to Israel. More and more and more. So the more we find out the name of God the greater the revelation of God. So by the time you come to Revelation chapter 22, the last book of the Bible, the last chapter of the last book of the Bible, and his name is in your foreheads, you will have that knowledge of God like never before. It means his word will be emblazoned in our minds continually and totally, fully yielded to him, knowing his word and in our hearts. And it will be just all the time, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, we will be overcome. We will be overwhelmed. We will be engulfed with the name of Jesus. His name will be written on our foreheads. If you'll turn while you're in the book of Revelation to Revelation 14 briefly. Verse 1 says, And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood in the Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his Father's name written in their foreheads. Again, they're going to have his name written in their foreheads. This is another picture of it. Now, let's just dispel the myth of 144,000. I've mentioned it before. You hear it everywhere. It's either 144,000 uh, Jewish Billy Grahams, as it's been classed as, which is, is not true. Or else the Jehovah's Witnesses believe it's 144,000. Jehovah's Witnesses has wrapped more doors than anybody else or whatever they've done. Going by works. Now, that is not true either. 
12 is the number of government. 12 by 12 is 144. 144,000 speaks of the perfect, total, complete, overcoming body of Christ with our Father's name written in their foreheads. Now notice this. When we come down to verse 14. And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud sat one like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, Thrust in that thy sickle and reap, for the time has come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle in the earth, and the earth was reaped. See, when we look at this, you know what we find here? We find here that this is at the coming of the Lord. The governmental body is already being arranged by God to take over the kingdom. And God is raising up men and women even now because the kingdom of the Lord is coming. It's at hand. Now you and I must examine ourselves, one, whether we be in the faith, ready for Christ's coming, or two, we must examine ourselves at this point in time of our experience with Christ, how much do we know him? Have we learned to to understand the full revelation of God and him as according to the scriptures? Have we learned more and more and more about him? Have we grown in Christ? Have we grown in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ? Have we grown and known him? Or have we remained static? Notice, the Lord is coming, the sickle will be thrust in, but there's an overcoming body whose names, whose foreheads have the name of God the Father written upon them. Now, brothers and sisters, the name Jesus will be on them, in them. Not the real name, no, it's the word of God. That's what I mean. It's his word. It's his word. Jesus means Jehovah's Savior, as I said earlier. Now, notice this. Jesus said uh, to the Father while praying, and when you go into John 16, 17, he also says, he says around that time, he says, Father, thy name have I given to them. Thy name have I given to them. Whose name has he given? The name of Jesus. We need to rescue the name. We need to rescue the name of Christ. Because when we rescue the name of Jesus, we understand that when we have his name, we understand who he is. So when you're praying for that sick one, you're saying, this is your name. This is is your character. This is who you are. This is your word. This is what it says. This is your authority. This is your power. This is you, Lord, not me. It's all about you, Lord. It's all about you. It's all from you, and it's all for you. It's all you, Lord, because we we have, and, and we're all guilty. I'm guilty of saying, oh, in Jesus' name, in a prayer, in Jesus' name, finishing a prayer. Brothers and sisters, let's get away from religiosity. I'm not saying not to finish your prayer in Jesus' name. 
But let's get away from the idea that it's just in Jesus' name and that's it over. Let's mean it from the depths of our being with the Holy Ghost stirring up within us that we will speak forth the name of Jesus in clarity. We'll speak forth the name of Jesus in power. We'll speak forth the name of Jesus in authority because whom he is is represented in that name and that name speaks of whom he is. We look at when it says in Genesis 4 and 26, then began men to call on the name of the Lord. Remember last week. Then began men to call on the name of the Lord. This is after Cain kills Abel. Seth is born. And men began to call on the name of the Lord. The word name again there is Shema. Shem. Now I'm going to bring you somewhere and I need you to try and keep your attention with me. Then began men to call on the shame of the Lord. They didn't know the Lord. I told you last week, they, Adam had sinned in the garden. They're out of the garden. They're kicked out. They haven't had any relationship with the Lord. But Adam has known about sacrifice from the killing of the animal and the skins being put on him. Abel knew about the sacrifices. That's why Cain killed Abel when the jealousy came from Cain and Abel. Cain killed Abel, and then, of course, the Lord allows him to have another child, and from there comes Seth. And they called upon the name of the Lord when, after Seth, rather, is born. And when Seth is born, the, the, the people realizing the God whom our fathers have called on, surely he is real. How do we get to know him? They called on his reputation. They called on his shame. Then began men to call on the name, the shame of the Lord. In other words, they called on his fame. They called on his glory. They called on his memorial. They says, look, we remember your glory was you made all of this. Your glory was that, uh, that you just spoke it all into being. Uh, our father Adam says uh, he doesn't have a belly button because you made him from the dust of the ground. Our mother Eve says that, 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 that you took her f- from out of the side of, 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 of our father Adam. Your fame, your glory, you're the God who speaks when things aren't as though they were and, and they come to pass. See, that's God's fame and glory. And by the time you get to the New Testament, when we call on the name of the Lord, we're calling on a person because of his personality, because he became flesh. And we're saying, this is who you are. You've healed the sick. You've raised the dead. You cast out demons. You cast out the devil. You went to the tomb. You rose again the third day. You've ascended into the heavens. Praise God, you're interceding for me at the right hand of the Father and you're coming back again. Lord, we're looking for your fame and your glory in Ulster, in Ireland, in Britain, in the United States, or wherever you may be. We're looking for your fame and glory. We're calling on the name. May the name of Jesus be on every set of our pair of lips. May the name of Jesus be in every heart of man and the heart of woman. May the name of Jesus be in every mind of man and woman, boy, girl, and teenager, of every walk, of every kindred, tribe, and tongue. May the name of Jesus be exalted, lifted up, and glorified. That's what we're saying, because when we have his name, we have the reputation of the Almighty is invested in him. In him dwelleth all the fullness that God had bodily. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. So here, 
men began to call him the reputation, the name. The word name, remember, in the Hebrew here is Shem, the Shem of God. Here's what I happened to write down, and I probably quoted it wrong. I remember getting a quote from Martin Luther, the reformer. But it goes something like this. We do not pray to break through God's reluctance, but to lay hold of his willingness. You see, we believe that when we're praying, what if? But if we know him, surely we should know there is no what if, it's what is, what will be. And we pray as it were, as if we're fighting against God to break through his reluctance to bless, his reluctance to love, his reluctance to keep, his reluctance to change, instead of praying and saying, Lord, I know you, who thou art. I know your heart. I know your love. I know your will. I know your ways. And I'm praying and I'm laying hold, not on to break your reluctance, but to lay hold of your willingness to bless. What if this assembly went into a time of worship and we laid hold on God's willingness to bless us this morning? What if we really says we are laying hold on your willingness to change this? We're laying hold on your willingness to heal here. We're laying hold on your willingness because of who you are. Nothing to do with me. Don't look at the man behind the Persbacks pulpit. It's nothing to do with me flesh and blood, but who he is because of his own heart. He cannot deny himself. God can't deny his word and he cannot deny himself. It's impossible for God to deny himself. We pray, we say, and we preach, pleading me, God, you can do all things. Nothing is impossible with you. I tell you things God can't do. God cannot lie. God cannot deny himself. God cannot fail. God cannot die. He died in the person of his son. The man died, and God in him, he is still God. Great mystery, isn't it? But the things God can't do are strengths where there are weaknesses. We are not trying to Break through God's reluctance, but to lay hold of his willingness. So when men began to call upon the name of the Lord, you know what that was? That's the first revival that happened. You want revival, brother? You want revival, sister? Then we need to stop talking about it. Start doing it. And we'll stand in church, revive us. Revive us, revive us, oh Lord, and all this sort of stuff. And then we go home, we go, yeah, I don't think I'll even go to meet. Isn't that true? Yeah, it's a bit chilly out there. In the summer, it's too hot or it's too caravany. That's another weather season I've put into the four seasons. Caravany, lots all summer. It's too hot or it's too caravany. In the winter, it's too cold. Revival comes in you, brother. Revival comes in you, sister. Stop looking for revival in someone else and start it in you. Learn to read the Word of God. 
to study the Word, to be in His presence. And when you do, say, Lord, start the work in here. Start it in me. Start revival in me, Lord. The more you get to know him, and the more you get to know his personality, and the more you get to know his presence, the more you'll see revival come. Revival starts in the church. Don't expect the world to be revived. The world's dead. It needs resurrected, not revived. Revival must start in the church that we will carry the torch out to speak the words of life to the dead. That the dead of our nation will rise to newness of life in Christ. Revival starts in you, brother, and you, sister, not in the man or woman in your workplace that aren't saved. It starts in you. And if you're not revived, don't expect the world to be revived. If you're not excited about God, don't expect the world to be excited about God. If you're not passionate about Jesus, don't expect the world to even like Jesus. And listen, don't be disappointed when they don't. When I first got saved, I remember a fellow. He was a, I knew him before I got saved and he was a friend of a friend. And he heard I got saved, and he's a Satan worshiper. And he came up to me, and I knew nothing about the Scriptures. He started talking to me, and I was just full of Jesus. Oh, this Jesus who radically changed my life from the life of alcohol and drugs and all the stuff that I was in. And he knew me from before, and, he, and I seen him one time. I was not long saved, and I couldn't really explain Scripture that much. But one thing I knew was Jesus touched me. And I was different. And he seen me. And he came over and he started trying to denounce the things of Christ. He started with a plausible attitude. Jesus was a really great philosopher. I'll never forget that. And I says, I don't know about if he was a great philosopher or not. But what I know is, see this life. He touched me. See this life. He saved me. He cleansed me. He's taken me. And I was bubbling with Jesus. Just enthused and enamored with Christ. Just fell in love with him. I still am, by the way. I still am. It's never died. No matter what I've went through. It's never died. And the love of Christ was just flowing in me. And I was only getting to know him and to learn about him. And it was just, it was like a river in me. And I remember him saying, I have to give you one thing. After talking about 20 minutes or more, I have to give you one thing, Ken, he says. His name was Spike. And I says, go ahead, Spike. Well, that's his nickname. He says, go ahead, Spike. He says, there's something different about you. I says, yeah. He says, you really passionate believe what has happened to you. He says, that's something I can't argue with. The more you get to know him, he grows sweeter and sweeter as the days go by. Oh, what love between my Lord and I. I keep falling in love with him over and over and over and over again.